0: Greetings, dear listener. This is Greg, one-third of your Skeptic Wire hosting team. Before we begin this week, I wanted to give you all a small trigger warning that about halfway through the show, we do begin discussing the topic of sexual harassment and of rape. We don't get explicit about any specific incidents that have occurred, and we do not mention any of the specific names that have been brought up on the blogosphere these last couple weeks. We have chosen not to get into the subject of the naming of names and the moral issues that that brings up. Maybe that'll be on another show. But we did feel that the issue of sexual harassment and rape in and of itself deserve discussion, and hopefully it's worth listening to you. But we understand that if this is a trigger for you, that you may want to skip that content. That's okay. We want to let you know ahead of time about where that begins. So depending on the length of this intro, we begin the topic at about minute 31 through 33, somewhere in there. And we finish up about minute 68 to minute 70, somewhere in there. There is additional content after we discuss sexual harassment and rape. So we encourage you to not just stop, but fast forward to the end of the show and start up again. If any of the topics discussed on the show brings up anything personal for you that you'd like to discuss with us, please feel free to email us at skepticwire at gmail.com. Feel free to bring this up as a topic of discussion on our Facebook page or tweet at us, but if it's something especially private, go ahead and just email us. So thank you for listening, and now on with the show. Welcome to The Skeptic Wire. Hello!
1: Hello! This is the Skeptic Choir. This is episode 123. It is the 14th of August, but probably not the 14th of August when
0: you're listening to us. We're recording on the 14th of August, 2013, and that gives you the context of where we are coming from with the news stories and headaches that we're going through.
1: Unfortunately, we are a podcaster down tonight. Gary has work, so we wish him well. I know what he's working on and um yeah i really wish him well <laughs> that's i'm just leaving it at that for those of you out in the listening audience who are new to the episode gary the guy that we just talked about is not here he's one of our fellow podcasters and greg greg Perine. how are you today greg
0: i'm doing well i'm developing a theory that all these spaceships in the star wars prequels were actually based on different arrangements and configurations of binder clips
1: you know, that is actually very possible.
0: So just a quick demonstration, because we got a lot to talk about this week. So if you take one binder clip and you fold its uh, silver things down, so it's kind of in it's ready to be pinched open configuration, right. and you push it down kind of against the table so that the silver things spread out a little, that's those little crew troop transports right. that they're, they drive, drive around in. Okay. Okay. There's a class of starfighter that are, that come up in the like second or third prequels. If you took uh, two binder clips that are also in that ready-to-be-pinched-open configuration and put two of the silver tong things together, okay, it I'm looks like it. one of their Starcrafts. And then I think it's in Phantom Menace or one of those kind of, or maybe uh, bring in the clones or whatever. If you take a binder clip and take off the two little, little silver doodads... And turn it upside down so it's kind of a triangle with its point facing down. There's a civilian transport that Amidala and Anakin Skywalker take to go back to, um, oh, shoot, wherever the hell she lives from. She was queen of whatever. It looks exactly like one of that triangle-shaped, completely impractical spaceship. So further developments will ensue, but that's my, my theory. Oh, okay, it's small, a theory with a small T. It's not scientific theory. It's a hypothesis.
1: That's very interesting because actually this is really weird because I went and saw Star Trek again this weekend because we took some family to go see it and everything else. And the – there's this very infamous scene where Kirk and Spock are having to basically say, no, you're going to let us be the ones to go out and and do all the fighting and and all of this jazz and to the – to the the Admiral. Okay. And there's all of these ships. And you're like, oh, okay, there's the ship that Cockrum used in, you know, when... to First to, contact. To achieve yeah. transwarp and, you know, oh, here's the Enterprise and here's this and everything else. The big bad ship of the new Star Trek movie. And I'm trying not, I'm trying very...
0: You're trying sp- to be non-spoilery. yeah,
1: Is sitting on the guy's desk. It's right there. You're like, huh. Y'all must not look around and pay attention to your surroundings. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there, dude. Whoever
0: wasn't in charge of continuity failed.
1: Oh, there were so many other continuity fails. I, I And what bothered me is, okay, it's not that difficult of a movie to, to grasp, okay? Okay. And there's somebody in there with super healing capabilities, okay? Hugh
0: Jackman, okay.
1: And at the end of the movie, somebody's like... Oh, my God, it just dawns on him that this guy has superhuman capabilities. And, and I'm just like, <laughs> and I'm looking at these people who are going, oh! like, I mean, they literally just got it. And I'm like, dude, you're too stupid.
0: <laughs> there, was, there was an article I, I saw, I think maybe it was a Cracked or, or IO9 type article about the idea that it used to be that all like science fiction shows were all about like the meritocracy. It was always the smart scientist hero that was coming in and saving the day and now all of science fiction especially has transitioned into every man character who's completely out of his element who doesn't understand science or anything that's going on somehow comes in and save the day and how that says a lot about our culture nowadays yeah. kind of like how it used to be the old star trek it was spock's rationality and smarts yeah. that would solve things but in the reboot with um who's he, what's chris it? pine
1: and zachary quinto
0: In the new versions, it's all about... Kirk doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's just being macho and 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 rushing his way through things.
1: And the prime example of that would be when somebody decides to fix the warp core by kicking it.
0: Yeah, that would do it. So...
1: (laughs) I was just like, hmm, really? We're going to kick it. Bigger hammer theory. (laughs) That's what they were going for. Okay. So, Greg, do we have a birthday today? Yes,
0: we have a birthday, and continuing on that theme from talking about star trek this is a smart person who Yay. deserves to be remembered for uh Being spoiler smart? alert yeah his smarts this person is dead is long dead died in 1851 but okay. was born august 14th today 1777 the uh, the first general hint i will give you is no offense to you donna but i think probably if gary were here He'd get it. His electrical engineering education might mean that he might be more likely to get this. But you are a well-educated person, so it's possible you might know this person. I don't. Yeah. So that's kind of the level of, oh, this is interesting. I'll talk about this person on the podcast. This person was Danish. Though... The
1: tasty pastry variety. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> was a physicist and chemist. Also dabbled in things like poetry and fiction, but uh, very important for new studies in physics and chemistry. Okay. Um, one, the big thing that he's known for, he's done other things like in chemistry. He was one of the first people to, I don't know how to describe it, but through metallurgy, whatever, the first person to isolate aluminum by itself. So it used to be you had like ferrous aluminum or aluminum chloride, He was the first person to actually be able to separate aluminum out and just make aluminum itself, or at least that's what I've read so far. But what he's most famous for is he's credited for being the person to discover and prove that electrical currents create a magnetic field. The story, which may be hypocritical, is that he was either at a conference or giving a talk or something like that, and he happened to notice that when an electric current with a battery was turned on and off it would make a compass needle move and then he went on to do actual experiments to try to prove this and he the last clue i will give before i just kind of say all right i'll let you know is apparently he was a close personal friend of someone else with a very similar name who's known more for his stories
1: okay hold on because i think i have it actually uh, okay, so the stories, Danish, I'm going Hans Christian Andersen?
0: That's the person, that's the author who he's okay, very well associated with, and has a very similar name.
1: Hans Ors- Orsted?
0: That's it. Hans Christian Orsted.
1: Thank you, very history Very awesome, classes.
0: Donna. Yeah, because... I, I was like looking around for interesting people to talk about, and I didn't recognize the name Hans Christian Orsted, but the fact that he was the person credited with associating electricity and right. magnetism. Right, and that,
1: what got me was the being able to separate out um, aluminum. because right. I remember reading about that, and I was yeah. I, mostly it's the physics, to, but I yeah. had to walk my way through it. And when you said that, I was like, okay, Hans Christian Andersen, okay, there we go.
0: Shows how much smarter you are, (laughs) because I hadn't heard of him. But yeah, so this guy came from a day where you didn't just specialize in just like magnetics, electromagnetic physics and stuff like that. He was a general scientist. He did both chemistry and physics. And like I said, dabbled in poetry, kind of renaissance man kind of guy. Yeah, I was going to say
1: renaissance man. So, you know,
0: 1777 to 1851. um, I'm going to say 73 years he lived a long and fruitful life and gave us one more step on the journey towards realizing that a lot of uh, pretty much all energy we know of, magnetic energy, electrical energy, and all those kind of stuff, and probably the weak and strong forces that they hadn't discovered yet are all kind of coming from the same place and have a lot of the similar properties. So he wasn't like a big innovator in and of itself, but he brought us along the the next step. And the last thing that apparently he's famous for is he didn't think up the original idea, but he is credited for having given the modern name to the quote-unquote thought experiment. So the idea of, well, let's not do a experiment in a lab with expensive beakers and deadly radiation or something like that. Let's think this through, which has led to think people like Einstein thinking through and saying, this is my thought experiment for relativity and Schrodinger's cat and all that, which we just had an anniversary of in the last few days. So,
1: Very, very cool.
0: Hans Christian Orsted.
1: Happy birthday, Mr. Orsted. Happy birthday. Well, you know, that does bring up the idea. He was 73 years old when he died. So he might... He might have been slipping into a little bit of dementia, a little bit of Alzheimer's, or maybe just played that up. That shit crazy? Yeah. (laughs) You never know. I mean,
0: it's it's there are plenty of people who reach a ripe old age of between 70 and 100 who are all there and they're still running marathons and, you know, figuring out cool physics stuff. I don't know, uh, you know what else he discovered he was a professor for his life but some people unfortunately um don't (laughs) their their brain betrays them for all intents and purposes and it seems like there are several stories in the news this week about we're finding more and more about dementia studies released that are telling us more about what happens to our what could affect our brain later in life
1: right and to kind of nail all of them down in basically one kind of, like, little package, I think, is...
0: Don't take a hammer to your head.
1: That's... that I think that should be step number one. Yes. You know.
0: That's, that's skeptic wire rule of advice number one. Don't hit yourself in the head with a hammer.
1: But that Alzheimer's, dementia, all of these things are a complex problem. And they're they're finding out that it's high blood pressure, alcohol use sugar in your diet, all of these things. It's not just, you know, we can't just say, oh, look, because you drink two beers a day, every day for the majority of your life, oh, look, you're going to have Alzheimer's. Or, oh, look, you're a diabetic and you've been a diabetic since the age of 28. What they're saying is these things are leading factors into determining whether or not you are at
0: risk. Yeah. There was one uh, major study released... I believe it was in the JAMA Internal Medicine Journal where some, I'm going to assume, Swedish scientists studied um, the records of almost 500,000 Swedish military men who had been basically kind of the, drafted into Swedish military service between 69 and 79. And they tracked them for almost 40 years to see kind of what their, what their health level is. Well, on average, about 40 years they tracked them. Some of them they tracked longer, some shorter. And they said, okay, of these nearly 500,000 men, of those that developed dementia, especially young-onset dementia...
1: My understanding on early-onset dementia is that it's pre-65 years old, correct? Yes. Okay.
0: There's, there's some weirdness, and I don't know if it's just how these articles came out. I don't know if young-onset dementia is the same thing as early-onset dementia, but the articles definitely say that The dementia that they were studying are things like before age of
1: sixty five. Okay, I because yeah, that's some of them are saying young onset. Some of them say early onset, and there have been cases where people are being diagnosed with Alzheimer's in their thirties.
0: Yes, that as well. So I I wouldn't be.
1: It's always kind of this whole, you know, where is where is this line that we're drawing about?
0: yeah, you even know, is it
1: early? Is it normal dementia? <laughs> even the
0: age of sixty five is an artificial line to a certain extent to yeah. just to group things together. But they found amongst these nearly five hundred thousand military age men that among those who developed young onset dementia, almost seventy percent of them had about nine risk factors that you could statistically significantly say are associated with the young onset dementia. And a couple of them you mentioned already, which is uh, you've got alcohol use, history of stroke, which I assume is in themselves. Um,
1: It could be familial, though.
0: Yeah, but they mentioned familial later on with another thing, so I I honestly don't know. It's an article. People who write articles don't always know what they're talking about, and we talk about it all the time. Yeah. So uh, number three, uh, that... I assume the patient has used antipsychotic medication. Number four, depression. Number five, a father with dementia. So shows maybe some genetic concepts mm-hmm. going on there. Illicit drug use, uh, low cognitive function at the time of enlistment, which may mean that there are other things going on or they've already got symptoms of this dementia even so earlier in their life. Uh, number eight, Low weight at enlistment, but I've also seen that as low height. So I'm not sure if that's what's going on there. And the final thing, which seems to be in other articles that we're going to talk about, high blood pressure at age of enlistment. It seems that high blood pressure has already been commonly associated with people who develop dementia later on. But I assumed that the way the articles were written, that it's a lot about... People who are older and have high blood pressure are more likely to have dementia. But this is showing even as essentially an adolescent who joins the military at, what, 18, 19 years old, that there are also risk factors that early in life for developing dementia much later on.
1: And what I want to stress is that dementia is... It is a series of, of, of risk factors, and I know that I've yeah. just said that. It's, it's kind of like
0: autism in that it's kind of a spectrum.
1: Right. In addition, it's like cancer. I don't think that we're ever actually going to get down to a definitive, hey, this is what causes it, answer. We're never going to get down to it.
0: But we but do know that you can cure it with ginkgo biloba. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: See, there you are without those skeptical little...
0: I'm making a joke. Okay. Don't bite my head off.
1: No, I won't do that. But like there are, it's it's back down to taking care of yourself. Yeah. And that's what all of these articles are saying. If you have high blood pressure, go and get it checked. If you have, if you start to see, you know, spots in front of your eyes and you're feeling woozy and dizzy and and all of these things, you know what? Go get it checked. It may be contributing to something that you have no idea about that's going to affect you later on in life.
0: True. They're, they're, you know, simple basic things about your health. If something starts changing, go see a doctor, get their opinion. But even then, there are plenty of things that we have lived with all our lives that we assume is normal because it's been that way all the time. I've heard people who have um, diagnosable mental disorders, like people who have um, bipolar, who have told me that they're just so used to the manic and depressive cycles that they assume that's how everybody lives, and when they finally get on medication, they're like, "Oh, this is normal! Holy yeah. crap!" So you know, I, there's well, one yeah. physical aspect of my body that I'm not going to talk about on the show, which I assumed was normal until a doctor in an examination said, "Did do you know this is actually not normal? <laughs> not normal?" It's like, "No, I've never had a problem with it." And she's like, "Well." If anything feels weird, you know, let us know and we'll send you to a specialist and we'll take a look. But otherwise, eh, you'll be fine. fine.
1: Yeah. Well, like me, I am OCD and I, I have always been very cognizant of it. But apparently, and I hate you right now because <laughs> you're messing with my little straight Listeners, line. Listeners, what
0: I'm doing right now is I am slightly shifting her laptop from place to place just so it's not quite in alignment right in front of her yeah yeah that's because we're friends and i know that, that she you might can get away with it yell at me and maybe hit me but she won't kill me yet
1: no but i for the longest time like the whole picking of nails it's an ocd trait i have picked at my nails since i literally i don't remember ever having quote cute little girly nails like every <laughs> other woman apparently to me lining things up and having things in alphabetical order. My records were always in alphabetical order. My shirts were always color-coded. It just made hanging... sense to you. Right. And I didn't realize that the rest of the world thought that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it is a little bit. I I have other things, like if I'm in here, since we're going to just flirt out with it, I hate it when people's toilet paper runs down the back it has to run I over the top i completely agree with you my problem is is that it's very very difficult for me to be at somebody's house and not change it
0: <laughs> that's a little eccentric but i don't think that's something that would cause problems
1: right but it's one of if those if you go things... into
0: someone's medicine cabinet and start alphabetizing their medicines they might say something
1: yeah i'm i alphabetized my spice cabinet
0: so did i but <laughs> if if you went into someone's bathroom yeah. and and realigned well, their toilet paper to the correct way they might assume that the roll had just run out and you put a new roll on there yeah in the correct way but
1: no i i literally have i have walked out of people's bathrooms going and my head is going go fix it go fix it go fix yeah. it go fix it and that was what my like one of my first clues of. You know what? You're not being normal.
0: Yeah. Well, uh just to kind of get us back onto to, uh, dementia, um which apparently we <laughs> hmm. we're we're not exactly have the best cognitive performance at some days. One of the other studies about dementia that came out um talks about a possible new way to diagnose dementia in general, which may mean you might be able to diagnose things earlier on if you start seeing changes in this screening test, but um, may just kind of give you an idea of where the progression is of somebody. So it's published in the Journal of Neurology. They studied about 30 people who had developed some form of aphasia, either dementia or Alzheimer's, that kind of thing, and versus some, some other people. And they said that when you showed these people pictures of famous people,
1: Pop culture icons.
0: Exactly. The examples they used in the article were people like uh, Princess Diana, Muhammad Ali, Albert Einstein, Elvis Presley, Oprah Winfrey, and Pope John Paul II. The idea is if people are 65 and older, they generally should recognize the faces of all of those. I am not quite 40 yet, but I would recognize virtually all those names because I'm old enough. Now, people who are 20, probably not. What they found is that the people who they knew had Alzheimer's or dementia, 79% of them could not recognize that it was a famous face just in general. And 46% of them just couldn't name the name of the person. So testing two things of recognizing that person is familiar and I know they're familiar familiar because they're famous versus can I recall their specific name? Can I associate their face with a name? And compare that with quote-unquote normal people of around the same age, 97% of them could recognize that it was a famous person and 93% could remember the name. So you're always a lot better at na- at recognizing that someone is famous, but that huge difference between recognizing that someone's famous and remembering their name seems to be the big kind of statistical difference to say you, your brain might be able to remember that it is a famous person but if you can't remember a really famous person's name that can be a big sign even you know in the study about the um the military age swedish guys if they had cognitive problems like not being able to recognize the swedish chef or something and know that it was the swedish chef they would know this person's at risk for dementia so Maybe what we can do. And and unfortunately, a lot of these studies like the 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 famous name recognition study was only essentially 30 dementia people and some control subjects. Um, So it's a small study. So we can't make a lot of causal connections from this. But the idea that, you know, maybe if you're at risk for dementia, You know, watch your blood pressure, watch your weight, watch, you know, your
1: sugar intake,
0: control your depression. Don't use alcohol. Don't smoke. I would say that anyway, but that's me. These kind of early indicators can say we might be able to we don't have any cure for this yet, but we can reduce the other risk factors.
1: Right. We can reduce the risk factors. And I honestly I don't think that we're going to see cure in our lifetimes. Some of this stuff, I don't think we'll, we're ever. We'll pro- see we may before.
0: see better treatments, right? To to slow down the dementia process, just like we may see treatments that slow down the aging mm-hmm. process, so that people's bodies just don't decay while we're still alive, and maybe that will mean that these changes that are associated with age may become less and less of an issue. But yeah, who knows?
1: Exactly. But the bottom line is, is that if you if you have these things, be aware. Yeah. If you find yourself starting to forget things or you're like, hey, who's that, that person on TV? <laughs> and it's Oprah. You know, and somebody looks at you and says, that's Oprah Winfrey. Take it seriously. Right. You know. Because
0: things like... Re- You know, the the stereotypical TV show of someone's daughter comes in and someone says, oh, who are you? Are you the person, the candy striper come to change my toilet thing? It's like, I'm your daughter. Dun, dun, dun. You know, that kind of stuff. That's going to come a lot later because that's a very strong, familiar connection of someone you see every day you've known all your life. As opposed to, hey, I remember Princess Diana.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) I mean, these kind of these distant relations, knowing who was the mayor of your town when you grew up, if you can't remember that, that's uh, that's understandable. But a famous person. okay? let's keep an eye on things. If you can't remember, if you recognize the face, like that person's famous, right? Yes. And they're wearing a tiara. So I'm going to assume princess. But I have no clue. It's Princess oh. Diana, the whole big wedding thing or something. It's like, oh, uh-oh, better go see my doctor.
1: Yeah. So just keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on your health. Watch what you eat. Watch what you drink. We're not saying cut out all the bad foods. We're not saying cut out all the alcohol, although Greg would.
0: I would say not even start, but that's me. But the the, the best thing about all this dementia research is the final study I think we have time for, which is... That chocolate may help keep your brain healthy and sharp in old age. Yes. Yay!
1: I like that study.
0: (laughs) I actually don't like the study, but I love the headline.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So, long story short, in the Journal of Neurology, there have been previous studies saying that consuming chocolate that had the, uh, I hate this word, antioxidant flavanol was associated with better brain functioning and better blood vessel flow in the brain. And this new study, they took 60 elderly patients and gave them a cognitive test. It was essentially recognizing patterns, and also they did an ultrasound of the head to measure blood flow and maybe some MRIs to kind of confirm things. So they got a baseline idea of where their cognitive abilities were at the beginning. And it was only 60 people, which is unfortunate, but it's a beginner study. Then what they they split them into two groups and they each had two at least two cups of hot chocolate every day for 30 days and a very controlled diet to balance the fact that they're drinking two cups of hot chocolate every day, which means more sugar in their diet. So everything else was reduced and controlled to make sure that it wasn't, you know, having a lot of sugar makes you smarter, smarter, smarter. I can't think Um,
1: might be Alzheimer's.
0: I think we shouldn't joke about this much, but maybe we're joking about this because we know we have crap to talk about in the latter half of the show. Anyway, so what they did is they all had hot chocolate, but half of them had hot chocolate that had flavanol in it, which is this supposedly miracle antioxidant. I bet you can tell how I feel about antioxidants right now. But so later on, after 30 days after they'd had all this hot chocolate for a month. They tested them all with the same cognitive tests and measured their blood flow again. What they found was if you had a fairly high cognitive test, you didn't really gain any improvement, Depending, didn't matter what group you were in.
1: Damn.
0: So if you were high on the level, the hot chocolate was just kind of nice. But if you were, had a low cognitive test at the beginning, at the end of the month, your cognitive test was better and your blood flow was better. The problem is it was better in both groups. So the actual scientific variable, and this is where I have the problem with the study, yeah. the actual scientific variable that they tested showed no difference. So essentially what all the articles like the LA Times article that we're talking about says is that, well, that shows that it's the chocolate milk, chocolate, hot chocolate itself that mm. makes you think better. That's the problem. That's basically the classic definition of we've got some kind of placebo effect going on yeah. here, because you've got someone who's been given a, a non blinded cognitive test. Can you figure this thing out? They are on a regiment to make sure you have dr- drunk two cups of hot of hot cocoa each day. You're on this regular schedule, and then you're given another non blinded cognitive test. You kind of know you're being tested to how well you can think. Now, maybe you can't fake the blood flow too much, but maybe that's a little bit of pub placebo effect. I don't know. So it's nice to think that chocolate milk will spare you from possible things like dementia. But this is a, this study doesn't prove pretty it much doesn't, anything. It
1: doesn't prove it. But, you know, it's not worth it. It's not a bad idea to try. it. It's my idea. <laughs> I'm sticking with that. Yeah. Because... So my,
0: my point of view, my advice will be since there are other problems with um, dementia that could be things like drug use or alcohol use being bad and too much sugar in your diet being bad. And as, there was another study that showed no matter whether you're diabetic or not, if you have high blood sugar for whatever category you're in, you're more likely to develop dementia. Well, OK. How about you have a nice controlled diet? With plenty of exercise, and a little bit of hot chocolate, the end of the day, to just kind of soothe your nerves, and 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 not um, destroy your brain.
1: Okay, now that we've gone from the happy subject of the day,
0: yes, destroying <laughs> your brain,
1: destroying your brain. Let's <laughs> let's talk about that thing that we have actually avoided talking about.
0: Let's talk about the. The problem that makes us both want to quote Professor Hubert Farnsworth and saying, I don't want to live on this planet anymore.
1: Um, No, basically it's making me go Hulk smash. (laughs) Okay, that's where I'm at.
0: And if you don't know what we're talking about, even by our hemming and hawing about this, congratulations.
1: You know what? I'm just going to come out with it. We're going to talk about sexual harassment. Yes. Sexual assault and rape. We're going to talk about it. Yes. Um, if you have been on the internets this week, you have seen all the stories. We are not going to discuss them directly.
0: If you need the news, there's plenty of blogs you can read.
1: Yes. It's, it's been bad. Yeah. Let's just put it that way.
0: It It's starting to make me, th- I, every once in a while on this podcast, I will make a joke about how the different atheist skeptic groups are kind of like, The people's front of Judea, the people, the Judea's people's front and all those kind of thing where they're starting to develop divisions and fighting against each other for infighting and it's not helping the movement. This is getting worse.
1: Yeah, this really is. It's been going on for years. It's been the problem that for a long time nobody talked about.
0: Nobody in general, let alone in the skeptic atheist movement.
1: Right. And then, you know, the big header was, was elevator gate. And let's just be honest. That was the big one that kind of blew it up that said, Hey, here's a problem. And it wasn't really, it was, here's a problem. It was just don't do this. If you're on an elevator with a woman at four o'clock in the morning, don't offer her coffee. Just be nice. Say goodbye. Walk up, find her later there is a time and a place to flirt there is a time and a place to hit on people there is a time and a place for consensual sex at conventions and you know what go for it you find somebody that you were into and they are into you and you go for it i give you every blessing there is
0: yeah there are plenty there of is- times where that happens and it's great and there's no problems you know, nobody's hurt, nobody's you know scarred afterwards unless they consented to that, but most people aren't doing that on a a, you know, a one-time thing. But this is, that's not what we're talking about. We are we're not talking, talking about consensual hookups.
1: Right. We are talking about sexual harassment, sexual assault, and possible rape. There are people out there claiming that there are some big names in the community. That are serial harassers, serial assaulters, and serial rapists. We're not going to name names because we don't want to get sued.
0: And they've already been named.
1: (laughs) Namely because right now we can't afford afford to be sued. (laughs) I'll be honest. One of the claims that I've been hearing about, because I've read it all. I have literally spent, since the big story broke, reading about this
0: the the thing that's going to color our discussions is that donna and i you we are both kind of on the same wavelength with this so it's going to be a lot of us kind of bitching and moaning in the yep. best way possible about this problem but i on the other hand have been so sickened by all this that i haven't wanted to read anything i've made the occasional post on my facebook page about you know If you think harassment is something to be dismissed, you know, you're a horrible human being uh, or, you know, linked to articles showing how um, violence against women is ignored, harassment is ignored, and how that's a problem. And occasionally I'll get one or two talkbackers, mostly all my friends, thankfully, are liking those kind of posts and agreeing with me but I haven't wanted to read into it because it just makes me so personally sick. So that's the only difference in point of view that I think we're going to have right in this conversation. I I would
1: say that. Yeah. There have been talk about as a skeptical society, we need to be skeptical of claims of this nature that because they weren't reported to the police because they weren't adjudicated in court, we shouldn't, Name names.
0: Or that, you know, it's it's years after the fact, or some people are choosing to be either anonymous about their accusations, just letting people know that this is a problem and these kind of things happen to me, but I'm not going to accuse anybody. Or someone saying that so-and-so harassed and or raped me, but I'm going to stay in the veil of anon- anonymity because essentially one... I don't need the focus. I, being the mm. person, don't need the focus on their life right now. And it, this can come back and hurt them because of the reaction of other people. So a lot of that is kind of, kind of coming together.
1: Right. Now, with that being said, I'll, I'll give you this: two to eight percent of all claims are false accusations. I will give you that. It happens.
0: But rarely
1: <laughs> Duke lacrosse. Okay, we got that out there because that's the first place that everybody goes. Oh, look at Duke lacrosse team. Okay, you said it. It happens most oftentimes. It happens in the middle of a divorce where one parent is trying to go to the court some way. Blah 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 blah. All that just.
0: I remember a lot of skepticism over uh, the Star Trek actress Jerry Ryan. There was accusations in her divorce settlement of. You know, forced swinging and and that kind of stuff. Right. I, I honestly don't know how that resolved, but sometimes that does happen, but sometimes those accusations are real in order to get a bad person, either mother or father, away from a child. Right. But ev- in those, most cases, those accusations are not false.
1: Right. Those are the exceptions to yeah. the general rule.
0: And unfortunately, a lot of people in our skeptical movement are making the logical fallacy of kind of the exception proving that there is no problem.
1: Well, what I see is we go straight back to the claim of Carl Sagan. Extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. Guess what? Rape isn't extraordinary. It happens every single day.
0: Something like every nine seconds, either a woman is raped or harassed or beaten or assaulted or something right
1: this happens this is not extraordinary when people say extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence we're talking supernatural we're talking walking on water we're talking turning water into wine we're talking about all of these things those are the type of claims bigfoot this (laughs) is the type of claim that we're talking about needing extraordinary evidence because it is so far out of the realm of normalcy. Guess what? Rape, assault isn't one of
0: those. It is an extraordinary and also kind of related to that idea of extraordinary evidence and all that is. Frankly, the, the reports by people like Karen Stiles now, who's recently came forward, Ashley Paramore, Rebecca Watson, all these wonderful women who are being treated horribly. Um, and other women who I know personally who have had things happen to them by people who are not famous. The idea of, uh, I'm going to come out and say, call the people who are saying that this is a problem to announce and come forward with these. These people are being deniers. The deniers of harassment are essentially using the tactic we use against, say, um, Bigfoot type people of, well, this is just an anecdote. Anecdotes doesn't mean data. The problem being that it's not just anecdotes. It, it, in this case, in social situations where there's a very, it's very rare that you actually have physical proof of a harassment and unfortunately, very rare you have physical proof of a rape. Yeah. Because in some times, a forceful rape does not to a rape kit look like Forced sex,
1: right? And in addition, oh, how many rape kits are going untested right now? Yeah,
0: so let's just. The, I'm going to throw the, that. The in problem there too. being that there's not a lot of physical evidence in just harassment. If someone gropes someone's ass in a food line at a convention,
1: or while you're standing, there's not always
0: a Vegas cam- camera around,
1: right? Or when you're standing at the Reason rally with your friends, as what happened to me. Yes. Okay. And yes, I turned around and there was three guys all huddled together giggling. So I couldn't tell which one of them did it. I have reasonable suspicion that one of them did it. So I did the best thing that I could of I quickly moved around and hung out with. I was hanging out with my friends. But I had Greg there. I had Gary there. I had our old co-host, Dave was there. Richard Hannes, who frequently posts on our page, was also there. I put myself into a position where it wouldn't be able to happen again. Yeah. If I had it known shouldn't which... have happened in the first right. place. If but... I had known which one of those little shits had done it, yeah. I'd have pounded him. But that's me. And five years of and <laughs> So someone
0: may come to you and say, well, Donna, your story, which I appreciate you sharing with us, um, is that's just an anecdote. You can't really prove that. The problem is that in in cases like this, especially where there's not a lot of physical evidence, anecdotes, plural, does lead to evidence.
1: Right. When and- you
0: have scores and scores of women and men coming forward saying, I saw a famous person X who is talking about their new book in their latest talk at this convention. I saw them do X. Right. I've seen them do it multiple times. I've warned my female friends about this guy.
1: Right. That is
0: multiple lines of evidence, and that does lead to proof.
1: Right. There is an underground network. And you go to any convention, and somebody will tell you, be careful around this guy. And it's not just
0: the famous guys.
1: Right. It's not just the famous guys. Or, you know... This woman likes to get drunk and feely. Because I've heard that too. I've heard it go both ways. It's not just men who harass. I will give you that yeah. point. Most likely it is men, but it is not solely men.
0: And in general, you can tell the difference between someone who maybe either gets drunk or doesn't and is very flirty, very friendly, but is not harassing. Right. When and, someone confronts them and say, hey, back off, they do.
1: Right. And let me do this other line. There's been a lot of talk about what women should do at cons to protect themselves.
0: Yeah, because today... You shouldn't
1: drink. You should put (laughs) your hand over your glass. You know, you should be aware of your surroundings. You know, you should take self-defense classes. You should do this. You should do that. Just say no thank you. Right. The emphasis is always put on... No, Say no, thank you. You know what? The answer should be, you should look for the yes rather than the no. I don't care if, and I'm not expressing this right.
0: Well, you're expressing the idea that we need to teach young boys and young girls that consent is the issue. You can't just assume that someone right. is your property or will will be okay with what you're doing. It's all about consent, and we need to teach that to the people who might perpetrate this later in life. Not say, no, girls, you can't wear short skirts or make sure you bring sneakers with you when you work late at the office so that you can change out of your high heels to walk to your car because you might have to run.
1: Right. The emphasis should always be you shouldn't have to do these things. The emphasis should be don't rape. Or, yes. <laughs> hey, if you're feeling a little rapey tonight, when you go out, bring a friend with you so they can stop you. Yeah. Instead of, hey, if you're going out drinking tonight, bring a friend so that you're in company. I shouldn't have to model my behavior because somebody else wants to harm me. We should be working on stopping the harm, not yeah. on, oh, protect yourself. And I'm a firm believer in protecting yourself. I believe that every woman should learn some basic self-defense because there are bad people in the world but the default answer shouldn't be you got raped because you were wearing a short skirt or you got raped because you were drinking or you got raped because you looked at this guy funny yeah and that's the world that i live in and i hate it
0: i totally agree with you the the thing that is really made me depressed about the movement itself in what's going on here
1: do you mean the utter implosion that's going on
0: (laughs) yeah um besides the the taking sides and and all that and besides essentially the sickening denialism that sexual harassment and everything from sexual harassment up into rape the the idea that that's not a problem because we're just too smart all those kind of things piss me off but it's it's Bizarre to me and scares me that we as secularists and skeptical people have spent years calling out very specifically, but not related, not but not restricted just to the Catholic Church. No, oh, yeah, for saying for essentially protecting their own, for shuffling people around, and hiding evidence and having essentially token investigations and not releasing documentation about accusations of child rape and inappropriate behavior by priests, whether it's coming on to their female parishioners or the little kids, all of that. We have spent years criticizing people like the Catholic church, but also conservative Jews and Protestant churches and Muslim churches and, and all of them, um, Yet we're unwilling, as a movement, to look at ourselves in the same way
1: and say, "Hey, there is a problem. We need to fix this." Yes,
0: we cannot keep. We can't keep going on like this. If, if I was rock, walking down the hallway at a conference, and there was no one else in the hallway, and I walked by Richard Dawkins, and I said, "Hello, Richard Dawkins. How are you today?" and he punched me in the face. And maybe I didn't develop a bruise or something, and I went up to the organizer of that convention and said, "Richard Dawkins just punched me in the face. If our movement doesn't do something about that, and especially if someone else comes out when I accuse, you know, Richard Dawkins, I'm just this has not happened. I'm just using this as an example of actually a year ago Richard Dawkins punched me in the face too, because it's an old old incident." does not mean it was not true. Right. Because it may have passed a statute of limitations, because it may not stand up to evidence in a court, does not mean it didn't happen, and does not mean that we should not deal with it. Even if someone is as beloved in our movement as Richard Dawkins. Or if the same thing happens with Rebecca Watson. If we don't call out Rebecca Watson if she punches someone in the face for for no reason, then... We are a bad movement.
1: Yeah, we're not living up to the standards that we have set for other movements. Yeah. I agree with you. It's a problem. And unfortunately, people right now are entrenched on this. Yes. And it is an us versus them in the movement.
0: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of people who already... Basically, some I, I, people have some, already
1: convicted the people who are being accused. And there are some people who forthright believe that it could never have happened. Yeah,
0: And a lot of the people who are in the it seems to me not reading a lot of these blogs because it sickens me. Uh, the behavior that's on mostly on one side, but sometimes from both sides is a lot of the people who. Deny that this is a problem, or that uh, think that people shouldn't come forward with, the, with these kind of accusations, are people who were already dis, who were already hell bent against free thought blogs, and because something is brought out on free thought blogs, that means it's false, right? Or they're anti A plus atheism plus. So because someone who brought forward one of these accusations is someone who either says, oh yeah, atheist plus is a good idea. Oh, it's just those a plusers being dicks again. Right. And it's like, no, no, you have to take the argument on its merits. You can't just pre poison your own well. And we, just as much as we have to be in some extent, critical thinking and skeptical about accusations, because if something was out of the blue, like Richard Dawkins punched somebody, You'd have, that would be kind of an extraordinary claim. But after years and years of people talking in a, you know... In a, the hush in, whisper. ...informal oh network... God. I think that guy got hit by Richard Dawkins. Yeah, if people had been whispering that for years, and only now it comes forward, and then everybody else comes out and says, Yeah, this happened to me. That's no different from, like I said, the, the Catholic altar boy coming forward 20 years later saying, Yeah, Father so-and-so... It
1: diddled me in the background. Yes. Let's... It,
0: we we do have to be skeptical of claims to a certain point, but we also have to be skeptical of our preconceptions about who is making the claim in the first place.
1: Right. And for some of our movement, it's just, oh, man, those bitches be lying.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And and that brings us to or another. Or
1: they're trying to get money out of this famous person or oh, they're yeah. trying to gain notoriety. I'm. I'm sorry. Until. You have either been raped or been beside somebody going through the process which fortunately I've not been raped but I've been there every step of the way for somebody who has yeah fortunately this person saw a conviction yeah don't say that shit
0: yeah it's it's don't. an incredibly personal process to say that you were violated in that way but also in especially in courts of law everything else the the people who are on the other side of the case who are defending the person accused of rape will throw everything they can at you right. they will look through and try to find your entire sexual history if maybe you started getting involved in the kink community because they're you like the it. power play they're they're going to find that but they're also going to bring this forward as well you're a devian, deviant
1: you're a deviant already, so
0: so you were asking for it. This was just a consensual BDSM type of thing. So then you have to have experts in BDSM and psychologists come in and say, no, yeah. this is normal sexual behavior. Don't bring your preconceptions into this. All of that kind of stuff comes forward, and it's incredibly personal. So the idea that the deniers have of well, someone's coming forward to this just to sell their book, or or, or they're lying to hurt they, somebody.
1: Or it was consensual at the time, and they just changed their mind because yeah. their mother, brother, boyfriend, father, husband, whatever, found out.
0: The ass- exactly. The assumption that someone would lie and put themselves into the situation of the exposure of, I am revealing this highly emotional thing about myself where I felt vo- violated, and it's taken me a lot of courage to come forward, that someone would lie about that shows that they don't understand or... And this is what really bothers me about it. They don't empathize with someone else that how that would feel. Right. How that would feel if that happened to you, how that would happen, feel if it happened to someone you know and love.
1: Right. And the the example that I like to give is when somebody sits there and says, I was raped and people are like, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. And oh, well, you know, you blah, 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 blah. Give every reason in the world why what the person should have done to either avoid rape adjudicate rape whatever
0: blame the victim
1: you never ever hear somebody who says you know my house burned down you never hear him say oh, well did you did you haven't did you have a sprinkler um did you did, you know was your your insurance up to date uh oh your your oh your smoke alarm batteries didn't get changed well you know what your your house deserved to burn down
0: I understand mm. what you're saying, but actually that kind of thing does happen in other cases. There are situations where, um, you know, I, I, ha- I in the past, I have been pulled over for honking at someone for using my horn too much. And off almost every time this kind of thing happens, I am told, well, what if that other person had a gun? It's like, well, no. What if uh, okay. that person cut me off? What if I had a gun? You're not telling this right. other person not to cut me off because maybe I had a gun. You're telling me not to honk at someone because they might they might have a gun. That is saying that you shouldn't call someone out. Not you shouldn't hon- sh- honk at somebody because they might hurt you. Well, no, no. They did something wrong.
1: Right. So and, uh, I, I
0: completely agree with your point, but it does happen in other situations. It happens in
1: other situations, but I will give you that. And I'm not even going to go with it, but I'm just going to say... In my experience, what I see is when somebody's house burns down, they don't question the person. What did they do to make their yeah. house burn down? When somebody is raped, what did you do to bring this on? Yep. That is what. It, and yes, it does happen in other situations. And I will reiterate this again. Yes. Yes. False accusations happen. It is 2 to 8% of the time. And I'm actually being generous there because I've seen it as small as 2 to 6%.
0: That's based on how many people come forward to report it.
1: Right. The problem that I see is is that we treat this differently. And in general, the skeptic, the skeptic, atheist, free-thinking groups treat women differently. Unfortunately, as a yes. As Yeah prime example was which conference were we at the one right after the uh, american atheist right after reason rally i had a guy actually tell me who would listened to the podcast i was like oh great you know hey i'm meeting a listener sort of thing and the guy looked at me and said wow you really do have a voice, a face for radio I was like, fuck you, you asshole. So I'm not pretty enough to be a vlogger. That was what I took away from it.
0: That all goes back to context. And unfortunately.
1: And I don't know if he was joking. Well, he uh, may uh, have been. And if you are and you're listening, um, I'm still a little pissed about this. FYI.
0: (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, that ties into. The the weird thing about doing a podcast. In in general, it is a one-way thing. We mm-hmm. talk on the show. We've done 122. We're finishing our 123rd episode now. And so you have all these hours of people, people being able to listen to us, hear our personalities come through, hear us share very personal things about ourselves. And they get to know us like, hopefully, we are their friend. Yeah. So when you and I joke... To each other and I play with your computer when you say oh I'm a little OCD we're friendly enough we have maintained that part of our relationship where we understand I'm not trying to hurt you
1: you're not I'm you're not, a dick but
0: I, I am actually being playful yes if, if your, I see a look in your face I will stop
1: your intention is good but if you are random Joe Schmo who I've just met who says, oh, yeah, I listen to the podcast, and wow, you really do have a face for radio. Guess what? Not quite the context.
0: Well, and he's I... coming from the point of view where he does know you. Yes. And that's the unfortunate, that's the weird part where, yes, the problem is that with internet comments, with talking to someone that you've been listening to for hours and hours and hours on a podcast with, you, there is that distance and... and And familiarity at the same time, because we, you know, the evolutionary psychology of idea, we grew up, we evolved in situations where we were a small village community of 50 people. So we knew everybody It wasn't an issue. Now the whole internet thing where we can make anonymous comments and people can listen to us, but they don't talk back. So we don't get to know them. They feel familiar with us but we don't know them. Mm. When I go on to dating websites or something, I will say I do a podcast that is a major hobby of mine, but I don't tell them the name of the podcast until I've emailed with them a few times or gone on a couple dates because I don't want them to know more about me personally than I know about them. That's an unfair advantage and it kind of makes things a little wonky. So I understand that as first a human being, but also as a woman who's had to deal with that kind of crap, over the years that that's hurtful. But I think that's more of a problem of it's not it's connected thinking. to it. It's connected to the same problem in that it is not understanding the context of, I feel familiar with someone, but I realize I just met them two seconds ago. It's, it's the taking the step to make that switch in your head, to be skeptical of yourself that people on blogs are not doing. And people in person are, aren't doing people who are making, who are wearing, you know silly jewelry or making obnoxious t-shirts about specific people at conferences all of it is tied into we think we know someone so we feel that we can oh they'll just take this as a joke well no it's no. taken personally right and i know that rant kind of went all over the place but
1: the, if you're just meeting somebody yeah practice good etiquette that's that, that's what it is
0: whether you're commenting about their podcast or want to make a vaguely sexually suggestive comment right. or want to invite them to your room for coffee while you're sitting in an elevator we came right. full circle yeah
1: i am all you know in i'm okay if you want to come up and flirt with me i am okay with that i will flirt back i also know that i i i go home to a great guy yeah. every night I'm very lucky. I could even say, even though this is an atheist skeptical podcast, blessed to have this guy <laughs> in my life. You know, um, there is a time and a place for everything. And most of all, what I want people, another thing that I want people to take away from this is, guess what? If somebody's been drinking or somebody's been doing drugs or they're underage Or they're mentally incapacitated, whether through a mental disorder or chemically, chemically, whatever. Guess what? The nice thing to say, even if they're like, hey, baby, come in my room with me, is to say no, thank you. If you are not mentally incapacitated, too. That's rape. If that person is not in full control of their faculties. Now, a drink or two is fine. Because sometimes you need the drink or two to kind of go...
0: I need you to clarify pronouns of which person you were talking about.
1: If the person...
0: The perpetrator and, and victim. If you are
1: the perpetrator and your victim is slobbering drunk or high as a kite or you've roofied or ecstasied or... They're back crap fucking crazy.
0: Or you've been staying up all night at a convention. It's five in the morning and right. maybe they haven't been drinking.
1: Right. If there is a doubt in your mind about whether or not they are making a sound decision to go to your room with you, your answer should be no thank you. Or, you know what? Let me find somebody to help you get to your room. Yeah. Somebody that you know and you
0: trust. And, and that goes back to our idea that the onus is on, how do I put this, the person trying to initiate contact right. or friendliness or whatever to know to not cross a line to be careful. I'm, over the years, I've maybe been too careful, too polite sometimes, which means I know I've missed opportunities. But I feel it is safer to err on the side of caution and let things happen where they may. If someone wants to sleep with you or is interested in you, they're going to talk to you. They're going to kind of give you signals. Something is probably going to happen if they're interested enough. Right. So... You don't have to put that much pressure on it. And also I'll throw in my two cents for kind of advice for going to conventions or whatever. If you feel that your convention experience would be ruined or lacking because you did not hook up with somebody, you shouldn't go to the convention because it's not it's not supposed to be about hooking up with someone. It's supposed to be a bonus. Right. (laughs) If Um. that happens.
1: The other thing is, is that even if the interest that you have in somebody, if that person is drunk, high, mentally incapacitated, tired, whatever, yeah. guess what? If they're interested in you, they're going to be interested in you tomorrow when they're sober.
0: Exactly. There's no hurry.
1: Sober or well rested. Yes. So that's really all we have to say about it.
0: Uh, probably not, actually. Yeah. Probably, I, yeah you <laughs> know. No, I'm going to stop you there. No, we've been no. going on this for maybe 20 minutes.
1: We've been going on about it, but we've had these discussions. Yeah. You, I, you, me, and Gary, all of us have had these discussions prior to this. We're just now deciding, you know what? We're going to put in our two cents on We're this. We're going
0: to vent a little because this pissed us off. And Yeah, because w- I've yeah. read way... <laughs>
1: I have probably read ten thousand comments. Oh, you're
0: a braver person than I, Gunganin.
1: And there's a, there's there's been a lot of face palming and yeah. he, that was my head meet desk. I yeah. I put a, a Facebook posting that said head desk leather rinse repeat. Yes. That's how I felt about it. So if you disagree with us
0: that the let important us know. thing is that we have to keep having these conversations. Right. We can't silence this. And, and that's kind of where we're coming through all of this from, that this is an issue with humanity and with the atheist skeptic movement. Well, the atheist it doesn't ske- have to be everything we talk about, but it has to be part of the discussion. Right.
1: The atheist skeptic community is a microcosm for humanity in general. Yeah. OK. And if we don't have these conversations, the shit's just going to keep going on.
0: Thank you, listener, for bearing (laughs) with us on a really heavy topic. I know we try to be jokey even when we're talking about serious topics.
1: Unfortunately, because of my history of of having to be there for somebody through the process of a rape kit, through the process of two years to go to trial, of going through the trial and seeing the conviction. And I want want this noted. The person that I sat beside was a 14-year-old girl. 14 to 16 years old. Yeah. I am very proud of this young lady because in the two years that from the time of the rape to the trial, she put up with so much crap because somebody in her school decided to start spreading rumors. She had to change schools, all of that jazz. She did something that a lot of people couldn't do. Yeah. So guess what? Until you actually have to go through that, don't tell somebody else what they have to do.
0: Yeah. And I know we keep saying one more thing, one more thing, <laughs> but I'll just say this one last thing and then we'll get to a sorbet kind of pen- pellet cleanser for the end of the show. But if you're someone who says that someone like Karen or Ashley or Rebecca or all of these people you're saying or, that, me. or you who should not come forward, then you're also the kind of person who's saying that. In my opinion, the kind of person who would say that Jessica Alquist should not have come forward and confront an issue that was offensive to her. Yep. So apply skepticism to everything, but don't be hyper skeptic. Yeah.
1: So let's move on. Let's because move honestly, on. honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little ragey.
0: Yes. And, and I'm sure the listeners are a little overwhelmed as well because we feel overwhelmed. We're very... Yeah
1: passionate about this
0: i am gonna move on to our web of trust website or web shite segment Um, and we're gonna talk about someone who is not skeptical in any way shape or form maybe going back to our first topic maybe have a problem with dementia i can't make accusations about him but holy crow this guy is just full of crazy so cray cray yes So in the last few weeks... I know
1: I'm like six months behind with that term. Sorry.
0: In the last few weeks, I've been coming through with our Web of Trust segment to talk about websites that I heard about or people who were mentioned at uh, TAM 2013 this year. And one of the first things I went to this year at TAM was one of the workshops about uh, photography. And I think the title was uh, How Your Camera Lies to You. So they Mm -hmm. talked about things like force perspective or it's a bug on the windshield. So you don't know the depth perception going on there, all those kind of stuff. But um, one of the things they focused on was the idea of anomaly hunting. And also if you have a camera, you may have things like dead pixels, which may mean that you have a black square that shouldn't really be there, but that's because that pixel that is supposed to read that space in the field of view is just not picking up anything ever or a hot pixel which is always on. If you combine that with over processing of a photo, of trying to do the CSI zoom and enhance bullshit uh, where you know if uh, you zoom in on a picture enough, you're gonna have four pixels, so you're gonna have four squares. Yep. You know, that kind of bullshit. That, that
1: shit doesn't work. Okay, if you everybody. Don't un-
0: if you don't understand how photography works, how Uh, digital encoding works, and how all Photoshop works, all of that, you're going to have a problem, and you're going to find what you want to find. And that leads me to the website of (sighs) Richard C. Hoagland, who is most famous for being one of the loudest and most vocal proponents of the face on Mars in uh, Cydonia Planitia, which is that famous kind of in search of photo of supposedly a face on mars that once we went back later with things like the um i think it was not the grail mission but the mars explorer mission the global surveyor of mars mission those kind of things we've taken better pictures of those and saw that it's a natural mesa formation it just happened that a photo was zoomed in on from back from the uh, was it the 60s or 70s when we only had so much resolution and because there were light spots and dark spots, and the angle of the photo, that it kind of looked for a, like a face, but that's just pareidolia.
1: Right.
0: Well, Mister Hoagland goes way beyond just faces on Mars. He is convinced that Curiosity was sent to Mars to confirm an ancient intel- alien intelligence, and that NASA is covering up that evidence. He's convinced that um, Phobos, the mo- one of the moons on Mars, is. Actually, an artificial satellite that is hollow, that I guess houses some alien intelligence, that there are hidden cities of glass on the moon. And that brings us back to the photography effect, Hmm? where there are photos from the Apollo missions, where if you basically zoom and enhance enough, you have something in the background that he claims looks like a glass city, and that NASA is covering up this evidence...
1: It's a massive
0: conspiracy theory. Exactly. So Hoagland basically goes on and on about this kind of stuff. And the reason why I say he is just chock full of non-skepticism is he ties it into everything. There's Atlantis stuff involved in this. There's pyramid um, power, pyramid power, his home, his whole idea of hyper-dimensional physics and this idea of. Torsion fields or torsion physics, which just the spin of something is going to affect the spin and momentum of something else, which has been pretty much disproven. Um, he ties all these conspiracies into each other. And, of course, he's got some kind of Masonic conspiracy about nine eleven. And Oh, of
1: course, because, you know, you can't do a conspiracy theory without
0: nine eleven. Yes, exactly. So... And he's some kind of... He, he goes on, I think, the radio program Coast to Coast, I think, in what it is. Well, he has a whole lot of conspiracy stuff. A whole lot of, uh, basically, anomaly hunting in pictures and over-processing. And maybe, specifically, that Pyramid Power picture that you were talking about. Uh, the talk at TAM, they talked about, this really looks like it could possibly have been faked. Not just anomaly hunting and over-processing a photo, but literally putting something in with Photoshop.
1: Yeah. So
0: it... I, I don't know how much of it itself, it's self-delusion, how much of it is faking something to try to prove what he already believes, but his website is enterprisemission.com.
1: Hold on. So I'm going to click on my handy web of trust.
0: Yes. And right now is the recording of this show. The ratings for his site are 72, 72, 64, and 71. So he has scored high in trustworthiness and child safety, and all this kind of stuff. His website is chock full of donate to me, buy my books, buy my videos. Um, I don't know how much there is in privacy, in maybe I don't know what there is in the way of cookies or anything like that. If you know about that better, feel free to. Comment out there. Go to the Skeptic Action site, um, the the Twitter feed out there that does a lot of handling of other web of trust suggestions, um, and say, hey, this site is really bad on privacy. You know, if if you know better about it, give it um, give some information to people you know. But mainly, go there and rate them, because a nutty conspiracy theorist like this is just scary and bad and. This, I personally believe this person doesn't deserve more money than he already has.
1: Nope, I agree with you. And he's not that great with Photoshop. <laughs> that, to me, is just the bigger crime in all of it.
0: <laughs> yes, so Richard C. Hoagland. Oh, I will say one thing. One thing, he has done good. He done good? Yes. Apparently, he is credited with being the person or one of the persons who initiated the petition drive to ask, I think it was President Ford, to name the first shuttle Enterprise. So apparently, I guess he's really big into Star Trek and has taken that into his idea of all these conspiracy theories and aliens on Mars and whatever to cultivate whatever theories he has theories with a small t very very small t (laughs) of what he thinks nasa is hiding and and all that that there's actually ancient civilizations that mars was actually originally a moon for some other planet that blew up and that's where the original ancient alien civilization was that came to earth and assimilated and became earthlings all that kind of stuff so go to EnterpriseMission.com, have a look around, and then give them a rating on Web of Trust.
1: So, what we learned today on The Skeptic Wire. We learned that Hans Christian Arsted didn't write The Little Mermaid, but he did manage to separate aluminum away from his little friends. (laughs) We learned that high blood pressure, a history of stroke, alcohol, diabetes, low cognitive function, all contribute to Alzheimer's and dementia. But some hot cocoa at the end of the day might just stave it off. Yay! Not really, but we can hope.
0: One small study says.
1: We also learned that Bigfoot is an extraordinary claim, but rape isn't. Last thing on that one. <laughs> For today. For today. <laughs> and finally, go to enterprisemission.com on Web of Trust unless you're just waiting for us to discuss Pyramid Power. There we go. There you go. Hope you guys learned something tonight. Hope you guys had a good time, even though we dealt with some pretty heavy subjects. Is there anything else you want to add, Greg?
0: Nope. Just uh, listen to the end of the show where you can hear all the various media where you can find us, ways you can contact us, or just like us and give us feedback. So. Yeah.
1: Actually, I would really like to hear back from our listeners about some of the stuff that we talked about. You don't have to talk about the sexual harassment. You can talk about <laughs> blood pressure. Yes, We're always up for that. But we would like to hear your, your feedback on this. And I want to, once again, say a very special thanks to our former co-host, David, Greg, Gary, and our listener, Richard Hannes, for their unnerving support at Reason Rally when I was unfortunately groped. So if I didn't say thank you before, I'm saying thank you again.
0: And thank you for trusting me, Donna. It's important to me. So we like you and we trust you listeners. And we will see you next week.
1: And Gary should be back next week. So we should be back to full of snark. (laughs) <laughs> our, our our snark tank should be fully at capacity. Yeah.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye. But don't go anywhere yet, dear listener. This is Greg butting in again at the end of the show because there's something we forgot to mention on the podcast itself. Friend of the show, George Robb, is celebrating the release of his 21812 CD and DVD, A Nice Night Out with his Geologic Orchestra, by sharing a portion of that content for free on the feeds of various podcasts and media that he's been involved with over the years. You may remember that George joined me for a small interview at Skepticon last year. That's episode 84A. And George joined us for an entire episode, and that one is 114, just a couple months ago. So we'll release that content on our feed a little later in the week, maybe in a day or so. We hope you enjoy it. So if you're a fan of both George Robb and the Skeptic Wire, if you want, go ahead and email, tweet, whatever, at George Robb saying, you know what, you should join the Skeptic Wire on their song challenge writing thing whenever we get to it next. We hope you enjoy both us and George Robb. We'll release that later in the week. Bye.
1: Bonjour. Salut.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know what else. I, like, I know all these different ways to say hello, and they're just like. Oh, my head. <laughs> Early teaches a dementia. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been our lead in.
0: <laughs> You can <laughs> mention that later.
1: I'm just, I, I gotta, or I I'll gotta just, be a little silly now. Or I'll
0: edit this section in later and make it sound like you have dementia and don't know what you're talking about.
1: That would be really easy considering you're the editor.
0: Muha ha ha ha. Yeah, I gotta work on that evil laugh.
1: You need to grow the mustache out a little more so you can. Actually, <laughs> no, no, that
0: would be a bad, bad, bad mistake. Only once in my entire 37 and a half year life have I ever
1: done the porn gone, stash.
0: gone to a mustache and I was given the nickname Chet Hansen adult film star yeah, maybe it was it. the way that I trimmed it and maybe it was because when I had this mustache I went with some friends to a, um, a Jimmy Buffett concert and there's this one picture of me yes actually dancing and I've got this kind of hmm, look on my <laughs> face like oh <"Ugh>, yeah yeah <laughs>
1: I would pay never, good money to see that photo.
0: Yeah. So, no, never, never, never to the mustache. Just the mustache ever, ever, ever again.
1: Yeah, you're just besides, now rocking the bear look.
0: Besides, yeah, I, I just hate shaving. So, usually it's the full beard. Occasionally down to the goatee if I feel like I need a change and someone just broke up with me or something like that.
1: I was say, you could probably walk, rock the goatee look.
0: I do, from time to time. Alrighty. Okay. I'm ready when you are.
1: I'm ready. Want me to start? Hello! Hello! Hello. This is the Skeptic Quar- oh, hold, on. hold on. I don't even know episode in- <laughs> Shit. I just started going and- <laughs> in. Like Fuck you, Greg.
0: That's okay. It's-
1: uh episode one twenty three?
0: Correct. And it's August fourteenth. Fourteenth, August. So what was that about dementia? Yep.
1: Yeah. Kicking in rather nicely. <laughs> okay. One Hold
0: on. We have a noisy dog. What? I already gave you a treat. Go away. Shoo. What? Is little Timmy stuck in the well? <laughs>
1: think that's a yes my
0: orangutan dog
1: okay you ready
0: <laughs> fine i'll okay. pet you